Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Conversations. We're back with Mistborn Era 2. It is been a little bit of a time. We had to read three books, and there is still one more awaiting us. This is probably the hardest thing about Mistborn Era 2. Unlike Era 1, there's still the conclusion. There's still the wrap-up. And so we've got through the first three. We got some thoughts because, man, do I enjoy these books. These three books just went from very low expectations to one of my favorite in all of the Cosmere. Like, it's a great it's series. It's so hard to follow up Mistborn, right? Like, as we have been talking about in our Mistborn podcast, that story is so expansive and epic, grand, that to think about something trying to follow that, you know, when Alloy of Law first came out was just like, oh, give me a break. Um, but as you said, these books are so enjoyable. They are... They're different than Era 1, for sure, in many ways, but super fun read. I think that when it started out, there was also the knowledge that Alloy of Law was like a break for Brandon, because he takes breaks by writing more, uh, just different (laughs) things. So he kind of began and published Alloy of Law, which is a short book, especially compared to something like... Mistborn or certainly Stormlight. Yeah. That's one of the things that struck me while reading these books is just how quickly they read, particularly when they directly follow the Mistborn Era 1 books. So I think that there was a little bit of either hesitation or I wasn't getting my hopes up with this. I was like, oh, it's going to be something more akin to the Emperor's Soul. Not necessarily, like I knew it was right, novel like length, but short like- short story, basically, a standalone. Yeah, yeah kind of a little one-off, like in the world, a couple hundred years after, it definitely sounded interesting. But I think where at first there was hesitation, I don't know if I at first enjoyed all of the references to Era 1. And I think the, the like the names of the characters, Wax and Wayne, very famous little pun or is that a pun what's a pun guys tell me what a pun is on uh, twitter facebook reddit you can follow me anywhere yeah i know what you mean though because in these books brandon is using a specific like style right he's writing everything in the sort of old west lawman trope world so it operates on kind of different Uh, a different structure. There are different conventions that go along with that style that he's writing this story in, which at first, if you like, don't realize that he's doing it broadly as a style. Yeah. You're like, uh, that's kind of lame. Really? Wax and Wayne? Okay. Yeah. That style, you know, the Western serialization of stories that was very popular in the United States around the end of the 1800s or mid 1800s is definitely something that 
Brandon is playing with on a meta level. And so it can, as you said, kind of come across a little awkward or silly over the top. Uh, you know, every... when you don't realize what he's doing, like exactly. once you realize that it's part of a broader style, it all falls into place. And it's actually like such a great homage. And I think it's really cool to see authors use different styles or um, different uh, mega structures for different stories, particularly if they're, you know, like Brandon writing a lot of different stories set on different planets and different time periods. It kind of helps to give each one of those series their own ID. That's a really good point. And I think the first thing that I'd like to start this episode off with and use this as our guide throughout all three of these books, which we are going to try to do in one episode. So hope you're in for the long haul, folks. We better start talking. <laughs> the title of the book, Alloy of Law. What do you think that means? What is Brandon's intent with this first title? Because I think with these three books, unlike the Mistborn series, which was kind of very straightforward. like Yeah, that's what I've been thinking. These books are different from, I would say, most of Brandon Sanderson's books. Most of his books have like very straightforward titles. Yeah. You know, that like, there's not really any mystery. You're not reading anything into it. They're very obvious. The Final but, Empire is yeah. about the, <laughs> the Final, Final Empire. Empire. Yeah. Um, all of the Stormlight books are named after in-world books. So like, okay, cool basic these three i feel like have a little bit more room for interpretation and i think this first one alloy of law there's a lot of different sort of layers to it as it relates to the story at one point wax uh is explaining to morassi what an alloy is and he describes it as like not only one metal and or two metals combining together, but that in that combination, the properties of those metals can completely change. So they can go from a magnetic to non-magnetic metal, etc. That can be sort of extrapolated to like miles. He goes from being a lawman to a criminal. He obviously has all of the same like component parts, the same perspective or philosophy of life. He just flips and like turns that philosophy in a different direction to go from one to the other. And I think that is mentioned multiple times by Wax as Miles' greatest sin is the flipping, is going bad. And like that's why. But he also mentions that that line is very fine and that that's something that scares wax himself is that being in the law profession for like so long it starts to become very easy to become a criminal yes i think that is his underlying point is like the overall thing that is most important is that as a lawman you know where that line is and you never ever cross it because you are down in the muck you're with the criminals you're maybe doing a lot of things on that still positive side of the line and to cross over like miles does is the biggest sin and i think that my interpretation is that this idea of an alloy and the alloy of law is such a brilliant way of combining so many different aspects so we have the main 
I guess, cool upgrade to the magic system is that there begins to be a merging of the three metallic arts that we saw almost, with the exception of the Lord Ruler, completely separated right. out. It was, you have Alamancers, you have Zays, the Farukamist, and you have Inquisitors who are hemallergist, and then eventually we learn a couple of other things, like the Chandra are also made from hemallergy, but they're all separated out. And what this story does is really the introduction of how those magics begin to merge together. We have mm. Wax and Wayne mm -hmm. as the the twin born, and that is very rare in this world, 300 years after. And we'll talk about this probably a little bit more later, but as I was saying, how in an alloy, the properties of the two things can change, we see that that is true in the twin born, where there are some idiosyncrasies to the allomantic and ferrucumal powers that occur when they are combined. Yes, I think that's the resonance point that we have mentioned on previous podcasts. Yeah. We'll definitely talk a lot about it because it is so apparent only in this series. I know that right now in the real world, a script is being worked on for Mistborn Era 1. I don't know if that's TV or movie. I think it's still movie, but a script is being worked on. And I was just thinking in my head, like, the most important thing to know if you're writing a script for Mistborn Era 1 is how the metals are interacting in Mistborn Era 2. Because if you, if you, for example, only read Mistborn Era 1 and didn't have any knowledge of what Era 2 turns into, then unlike Brandon, you're, you're not going to have that through line that is how all of these magics eventually merge together. And basically what I see this series of book, this quartet, because it will end up being four, I see it as the introduction of how the magics merge together. And that is going to be the most important thing in Scadriel's future. Which we do kind of start to see in the third book in this series. And it's Again, not completed, but I think that will be the big send-off for the conclusion is like, okay, now you need to fully understand what is about to happen to this world uh, because their world's about to go crazy bananas, like cuckoo bananas with all <laughs> of the different introduction of, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I'm sorry. exactly. <laughs> Just focusing on Alloy of Law. What was your biggest thought or... Uh, takeaway from this book? I think I would just say what I said at the beginning of the pod, which is they move so fast. These books are just like action packed. Yeah, I think thinking of them as a serialization, a short look at the lawman, Wax, and his fun sidekick Wayne and the <laughs> crazy adventures that they go on. I think that's really the best way to look at these three stories. On the other side of that coin, I wonder if there was a little bit less structure and planning when it comes to this series because of their maybe brevity. Yeah, uh, It does kind of feel either rushed or confused at some points uh, where... I did not feel that in Mistborn Era 1. Yeah, agree. I think my sort of one rough cut, well, 
I guess this is more for the series as a whole, not just Alloy of Law. But because Alloy of Law was written first, like you said, as more of a one-off and then was later turned into a full series, I do feel that break, particularly between book one and book two of this series, that they are not quite a smooth single storyline. I agree. And I think that's really the only downfall from what otherwise I think is an incredibly enjoyable series of books with just some great characters. I One of the most amazing things to me is that after all of the emotion and the epicness of Mistborn Era 1, where you go on this just like roller coaster of crazy from this small heist story to this battle between gods and new gods being born. All of this is incredibly like emotionally captivating to then not necessarily that that's all gone because we definitely have the harmony and trail thing going on that we'll talk about but like it really is more a story about these characters and i feel like we see a lot more character growth because it's more focused on them and so we see them yeah not necessarily over a lot of time but just at the important moments of their life when they are making these big decisions yeah i think too it's a good example of uh brandon's growth as a writer it feels like there is more maturity in these books one it's about more mature characters but i just think the precision and delicacy and the balance that he finds between uh, really serious, heartfelt, touching, difficult moments and a lot of levity, a lot of fun. That balance is difficult to get right and is something that I don't think we get in Era 1. Maybe one of the things that feels juvenile or like a young adult novel about era one is that it takes itself incredibly seriously it is you know just a dramatic story about dramatic people doing dramatic things and there you know a moment here or there where there's some fun but on a whole it's very serious yeah i just want to take that and jump right into our five favorite moments uh from the first book these can be moments or characters or scenes but just five favorite things and one of them for me is as you said that mature relationship between wax and Steris, which oh, does not man. fully Don't develop i know well it does not <laughs> fully develop until the latter two books but even in this first book i just want to read a line and then try to imagine anyone in Mistborn Era 1, saying this line to each other. Yes. And that is coming from Stairs to Wax. She says, quote, In short, my lord, I see you for what you are. The two of us, we are beyond the points in our lives where expecting the other to change would be realistic. I will accept this about you if you will accept me. I am not without my faults, as my previous three suitors chose to explain to me at length, in written communication, end quote. Oh, Steris. And there's just, there's so much there. Like, there is this recognition and kind of acceptance of who Steris is as a person. Like, she is clearly a person with both a lot of faults, but a lot of individual hang-ups that, like, 
these are things she needs to overcome. She's not a bad person, but she has a very negative view of herself or a very... Well, I think she has a practical view of herself. You know, like she's very honest yes, about she, what her strengths and what her faults are. Whereas when we compare that to Mistborn Era 1, almost everything is about how fast everything is changing, how Vin goes from a nobody to a Mistborn to mm, a, yeah. a deity-like uh, figure and... Ellen goes from, you know, this like a uh, kind of preppy boy who is standoffish at parties to eventually becoming king of Ellendale and uh, the most powerful misborn in existence in terms of raw power. Uh, but we have like such a book based on change. Yeah. And this is more about like these characters living in a world where they have grown over a long period of time and developed these kind of big psychological traits or like manifestations they just like they have a different position in life and i maybe brandon has a different position yeah. in life you know compared to when he was writing mistborn as a teenager and in yeah, his 20s. 20s yeah now uh -huh. he's a father has been around the block a few times <laughs> um, and is just writing from a different position. And that's just one of my takeaways is like we have the beginning of Wax and Steris' relationship as two people who really know themselves or come to know themselves. I have a lot to say about that, but we're going to get to it later. So <laughs> for the moment. A pin shall be put. Yeah, put a it. pin. <laughs> one thing that caught my attention is that there are still mists. Yeah, in this wasn't world. expecting that. Yeah, which is really interesting. And like, I have so many questions. Do they still awaken Alamancers? They also only come every once in a while versus every night like they did in Era 1. And Wax mentions a couple of times that it's been like multiple weeks since he's seen the mist. And I am wondering if they come every 16 days. I... Certainly love the idea of keeping some 16 around just for our boy fuzz. Yeah. But I also am curious because from Era 1 and Secret History, we know that the Miss are the part of preservation's body, his physical manifestation on Scadrial. Mm -hmm. But we assumed, or I at least I assumed, that when Harmony took upon both things, he basically reverted and uh kind of captured because we have two things we have the miss and we have for ruin the atm atm exactly and like so basically my question is if there's still miss is there still atm and where's that atm naturally occurring in the world i don't know if there is but well if there was still atm then there would also be loracium and that's so basically my question is like why are these things missed specifically in this instance and atm as a possibility why are these things still manifesting if harmony is now in charge yeah i mean i would think i would think because i think we have confirmation that harmonium is a thing yes the metal that is from harmony of yeah harmony. so i feel like Preservation and ruin do not exist anymore. Therefore, there is no Liberacium, there is no ATM, and the mists only exist because Harmony wants them to. Yeah. But then I would say they probably don't really have any magical power. But th maybe they're like another way for Harmony to see uh, the world. Yeah, Keep like an eye on things. see the world or like interact with 
in particular, people like Wax who have their little path earring or something. Yeah. I think that that is kind of the question is like, did Harmony see some value and use in them? Or are they more like a a nod to an old friend? Yeah, sentimental. Kind of, yes. And so like <laughs> from what I have seen of Harmony in these three books, I think he's a very practical individual, like sometimes ruthlessly so, as we will uh, see play out in the latter two books. So to me, there has to be some function still to the mist maybe like you said it's a way of keeping track of alamancers or like um noting when alamancers are born not only wax but it might be marasi also mentioned that like the mists feel good they like feel better in the mist there's something like comforting or you know so i feel like so i feel like there is something maybe a little bit magical about that presence I think hopefully we get a little bit more in either the final book or the confirmed Mistborn Secret History Era 2. Is that confirmed? He is 100% working on it. Oh my god! But it's not expected (laughs) to be out until after the entire Era 2 is complete. Okay. So like, don't get too excited, Pete. This is multiple years away. That's pretty cool. There will be an Era 2 Mistborn Secret History, or that may bridge the gaps a little bit between Uh Era 2 and Era 3. Cool. Other favorite moments from Alloy of Law? Well, I think this book, we get an introduction to all of the religions that are present on Scadrial, some that we have seen before, like survivorism. But we get to see how survivorism has changed over the years, which is really interesting to see it as this now, like, old, established, traditional religion versus the, like, you know, scrappy young religion of the people that it started as. Um, And I think something that struck me is sort of a theme of, like, the truth, the seed of truth that exists in every religion, that here we don't see that, you know, one religion is correct and the rest of them are all mistaken, but that there is something to each of them. The path is connecting people to harmony. You know, we know that harmony is real. They are really able to connect with harmony, the, you know, shard of their planet. Survivorism is now teaching not only that, like, Kelsier died and asked the people to survive, but that Kelsier survived death and still exists and, like, will come back, which is very much like Christianity, A, but two, is also correct as we know from secret history. And by the end of book three in this right. sequence, it's doubly we confirmed. We know that he has come again. Yeah. And so I love how the religions grew and basically how Brandon started religions in era one. This also goes to just the way that all of the era one characters are referenced. There is this magical like putting it on a pedestal uh where all the characters get elevated and this is is seen as this like perfect they don't even say her name she's just the ascendant warrior oh that's right like her name is too holy for people to say which makes sense she saved the whole world but like it's such an interesting thing where you can kind of as you said there's a lot of christianity elements uh the 
symbol of Christianity and the symbol of survivorism are both the devices that were used to kill. Favorite quotes from these books is someone points that out as like, have you ever noticed how the symbol of your religion is the thing that killed your God? Like, don't you find any weirdness in that? Isn't yeah. that a problem? And the cross <laughs> is, of course, a torture device. It's it's literally yeah. used to torture thousands and thousands of people through history. And Jesus Christ was just one of them who was very famous. But the way that those religions grow and develop, I think, as you said, there's truth in both of them. There's also a truth in the beliefs of the people of the southern realms or regions that we are only just being introduced to by the third book. I was going to say, not an alloy of law. I know. We have to try to focus in. Okay. For me, I think that the one of my favorite aspects of all of these books, but especially Alloy of Law, is the intro, the preludes, oh yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Each of the scenes that starts the books is so amazingly captivating in my mind. So the first one is where uh, Lessie dies, and at the hand, they're looking for Bloody Tan. Wax makes the mistake uh, that is going to then haunt him we believe until like book three, he seems to have kind of processed and he be in still it. struggles with it a little bit, but I think by the end of book three, he's, yeah, he's in a he's different place. It, he, yeah. yeah, his character has kind of graduated, but it's the inciting incident and we see it play out. To me, it's so gripping. Just every part of it makes me interested in the world. I'm, you know, fascinated by how the uh, twin-born powers are working, where Wax is using his ferrochemical weight shifting to shoot through uh, walls and stuff and push on bullets with his allomancy. Like, I just find that as an introduction, these scenes work so well, and they also kind of set up that serialization of the story where it's like you have this you're dropped into a moment and it's just off to the races it's so much fun i really love each of those scenes but i think this first one with lessie because it sets the tone so much for the rest of the series and this event is so significant for the rest of the series you can go back and read it and understand hashtag spoilers all the time you guys know this but you can understand that lessie is being controlled by harmony and that she's actually a chondra and that all of this is happening as a way to force wax back to the city so that he can then enact like it's just an amazing start to this series i love that intro chapter kind of along with what you just said something else that struck me in this book is that Wax's allomantic skill seems like so much more advanced or refined or like delicately executed than even Vin's. And I feel like Vin is, you know, the the strongest. Yeah. Yeah. Allomancer that we've seen. Um, And I don't know if that is just because he only has the one allomantic power and like Vin discovers when she's first learning about all of her powers. Mistings often have that like more refined grip on their power because that's the only one they have. So they become experts. 
or if he really is like magically blessed by harmony with like extra power well i think it's what we said about the alloy right he his merging of powers makes him unique but, but it I think also that's like gives... a specific skill and i feel like even just his allomancy alone seems i don't know better no that's what i'm saying i'm saying that his combination of powers his path that he has been on as a lawman his length of time that he has practiced with his powers remember even kelsier when he died had only been an allomancer as long as vin was an allomancer throughout her entire life like kelsier was practicing for no more than three or four years yeah and vin was practicing for no more than three or four years and wax Wax is on 40 40 years well okay he didn't start until a teenager but like 35 whatever yeah 30 years of honing these abilities you know under duress under in the most that's a good point actually i mean that's what i think it just comes down to is we don't see a lot of old alamancers in the right, final empire like super experienced they're either dead or there's someone like breeze who has a power that is more low-key yeah and when we see someone like wax the only possible way that he could have got to the point that he's at is by a supreme ability when it comes to his alamancy and his verukami. And I just feel like, as I said earlier, that's why it's so important to understand Mistborn Era 2 when you're looking True. at Era 1. It's yeah. just like, it puts it into perspective, like what is possible with these powers down the road. There is just one quote that I would love to read because... It made me laugh a lot. And that's one of the things that also struck me about these books, kind of going back to what I've already said. But I just found myself laughing so much as I read these books. And this one particular quote, I just find very funny. So as my sort of point here that the humor in these books is wonderful, would you care to read this quote with me? I would very much care to do so. (laughs) Quote, I've made a promise. I told Lord Harms I'd return Steris to him, and I will. That is that. Then I will remain and help, Marasi said. That is that. And I could really use some food, Wayne added. Fat is fat. (laughs) (laughs) It's so silly, but it's so funny. And I think that by the time we have these three characters interacting and eventually when we bring Steris into the fold as well there is just this beautiful wonderful interaction that happens like it's just playing back and forth it's like a master or watching a master play tennis or ping pong or something (laughs) where it's just like wax delivers something out and then wayne just no stuff does blow up a lot around you mate immediately has the retort immediately has the response you have Marasi, who is sometimes playing the straight man, but is also like getting in on the humor like, as well. In with I know them. it's yeah, so she's great. a little bit one of the boys. Yes, it's just their relationship. I feel like creates that humor, and yeah. and it like manifests from their relationship. It feels very natural, and I definitely think it's the funniest book. While there are 
certainly some humorous parts of other books. Like I found myself laughing out loud a lot right? in this series. Yeah, like legit LOL. And then the last like very small thing that I would love to bring up about Alloy of Law is at the very end, this is never followed up on, but at the very end, the Constable General Breton is described several times as not acting like himself. He's described as being like a completely different person. That's a quote at the very end of the book. And like, I am just so curious. What does that mean? Is he a chondra? Has he been spiked? I don't think we ever see him again. It's like never discussed again. But there's like one chapter where from several different characters, they make this observation. And so I feel like it's not a coincidence. I honestly, because it's not returned to, I completely forgot about this point. But I definitely want us to like keep in mind just how much is going on in the background of these stories that we really don't know yes. and don't have any understanding. Basically, everything to do with Trell. He has an ability to have a new metal that can be turned into spikes that can be used as hemology. And then we have the regular spikes that can be used uh, to, we, as we understand it, for the most part, give some control to harmony. Well, there's a bunch of weird, weird stuff, stuff happening right? on, which we'll get to as Let's we go through these books. talk about a Cosmere connection that comes up in the very final moments when Miles is there attempting to execute him. And certainly just a, a kind of horrifying idea oh my gosh. about just someone that you cannot kill. There's just sometimes a simple thing that if introduced to the right person, like being invisible or being unkillable just becomes so horrifying just absolutely like blows away your ability to kind of process or or even think about what's going on the way that wax is just like staring down miles just like i'll wait like we're gonna kill this guy and we're gonna make sure that it happens and he goes through you know multiple different manners of trying to kill him but what's his final kind of words quote one day, the men of gold and red, bearers of the final metal, will come to you, and you will be ruled by them. End quote. So, gold and red, we kind of see this, and we think maybe this has to do with Trell's metal. Maybe, yeah, because we know that there is some red involved there. Yeah, it's just, you kind of pointed out that it has some similarities to a death rattle on Rashar. It totally reminded me of the death rattles. It's like almost exactly the same this sort of weird otherworldly prophecy coming at the time of death but then like what does this mean is this other people from another planet is this just people on Scadrill who have been spiked by trill what is the final metal is it the trillium metal is it like an adenalsium metal i have so many questions <laughs> and i hope many of those questions are either answered or I think laid that's going to be down the line. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like we either have like the path set by this book. I, I oh sure, yeah, yeah. I really see this series as doing something significant, which is getting us from 
Mistborn Era 1 to Mistborn Era 3 and 4. And the fact that if he pulls this off, it's going to be clearly like one of the greatest things in literature history. But if he pulls this off, this series, even though it's silly, even though it has kind of this uh, meta Western vibe, even though it's not done in the same style as the epic Stormlight Archive, this series will be supremely important to the next era three and era four and that's like its job Agree. yeah and so i just love the idea that something maybe that at first glance can seem unimportant can really be the linchpin of the mistborn series and then lastly hoid sightings there is a beggar man talking to some newlyweds at a wedding that wax and wayne attend that is hoid as we probably all guessed it has been confirmed by Brandon. He has no other important moments in Alloy of Law, but I think it is important to say that Hoyd is all up in Scadrail at this time, and Hoyd only goes places when there's important things going on. So I think it's just reinforcing that like Hoyd's around, and we're going to see him a couple more times, including in the second book which, as you said, kind of feels like the first book in the way that, like, Alloy of Law might be, like, an intro, a prequel, you know? To me, and we'll see if this changes when we get book four. To me, Shadows of Self, book two, feels like a detour. I feel like one and three have more in common in, like, the plot mm. and the the challenges, the villains that Wax is facing. And then Shadows of Self is kind of like this other thing that is about Wax's past and also like the greater Cosmere connections, but doesn't really have anything to do with his uncle or the set. And so that is the thing that makes this feel a little bit disjointed to me is that in book one, we set along this path to find out more about the set, to combat them, to, you know, beat Wax's uncle. And we're all, like, ready to do that. And then book two is just like, wait, okay, we're we're not doing that anymore. Okay, we're on, like, a different road now. <laughs> I think this is when it comes down to the concept of the serialization of Wax's story. It's like, not every single moment of his life is about the grander picture, the bigger story. But each moment that we are seeing, each serial that we are being shown is important. We just don't yeah. know how it all plays out. I mean, it's out. not that I don't think it's important. It just kind of is I agree. jarring for yeah. me. No, I definitely think that you're 100% correct that it doesn't feel like the other two. And even the concept of like its title, this is by far the most difficult and metaphorical title yes uh i find it does not seem to have any kind of concrete tie to the book but he brandon loves this phrase he he used it in mistborn era one vin uh -huh. specifically quotes it and it is clearly a big part of what he thinks is going on in era two is that there is a shadow of self 
maybe this is kind of a cognitive realm, a cognitive shadow. Maybe it is a spiritual connection, like a spiritual connection between wax and palm that is made when she is lessy. And I think that there is even this question of the way that originally Aristotle talked about the the shadow world or how Mm. each object that we see in reality even people are only shadows of their true self and so if you take the shadows of self it's all of these little serialization moments that combine Mm -hmm. together gives you the full picture of wax and wayne of wax the hero i like that interpretation actually i had a really hard time kind of wrapping my head around this title but i do i I feel like that interpretation makes sense to me with the book this kind of theme of like people being more than they seem to be and the difficulty of imagining other people complexly and like how we cannot really know the full extent of a person and we see that very specifically in this book with Wax sort of like getting to know himself, but also Wax and Steris come to know each other better. Um, and this theme comes back in book three in particular. I feel like we've talked about a couple of our, our biggest thoughts or kind of the challenges of this book, but did you want to hit on anything else before we move to our five favorites? Yeah, I want to bring up that Something I really like about this series is that because it is more advanced in time, it is closer to the world that we live in and the history that we know about, the themes and the motifs that start to come up, the things that this society is like wrestling with and dealing with and struggling with are things that uh, echo the things that we are dealing with in our own world. And so there is something that's incredibly relatable and like poignant about a lot of the things that come up particularly particularly in this book which has a lot to do with politics and mm-hmm. like union unrest yes. and things like that and so that's just something that i really enjoyed throughout these books yeah i think in the most simplistic way the manner in which we teach our own history is that we have this industrial era that is going to rapidly advance society but as a byproduct of that there is also a move of workers rights of unionization of the five-day work week and all of these aspects of abuse of the worker of inequality that unlike something that is has a more middle ages vibe right really seems to apply more and marasi obviously is kind of our window into the world she feels the most either progressive or modern in some respects how she is very focused on systems and how the systems that either she builds mm. or that already exist are influencing every aspect of society. So Yeah, no, I think that is such a good point because I think along with all of the sort of political movements that you were talking about, the like more empathetic description of the 
emotional like turmoil and chaos that happens during a time like an industrial revolution where society is changing very quickly and it's very difficult for a lot of people to let go of the world that they used to know and like try to get used to this new world um we see sort of both sides of that coin throughout these books with wax and marasi wax being representative of like the older world Mm -hmm. the lawman you know sort of operating single man can you know take on the criminals with just his gun and his trusty sidekick and that is the way that you solve your problems versus Marasi who is actually educated in uh in criminal justice and like has all of the facts and the graphs and like has all of this knowledge about what actually causes crime what are the best ways to um combat crime and things like that and maybe it's not having a gun maybe it's providing people decent um housing yes and jobs and giving them a community where they feel supported and i think throughout the course of these books we're going to kind of see that shift away from wax more into morassi's realm certainly by the end of book three even wax himself like you know his full character arc up to that point he very clearly makes the decision like the old world's gone and i'm going to choose to be part of this new world this world of politics this world of systems and this world that maybe i don't fit in great to but marasi's right she has a better version of what is going on and a better understanding of what is going on and wax is afraid of being left behind in some respects he's anchored to the past because of palm slash lessie and just to avoid confusion going forward here i feel like calling her lessie what do you think yeah okay so lessie is the chandra that wax is in love with i think that one of the things that shadows of self does so well is broaden our view of what is possible in scadrial like this Mm -hmm. isn't just about magic and heroes fighting bad guys Mm -hmm. there's complexity there are i love the the sergeant who is kind of number two in the uh constabulary i believe his name is ready he feels so real in his position of he's the guy who went from the ground up he started you know working the streets started at the bottom yeah now he's here he climbed his way up and he was expecting to be named the number two he's gonna formalize his number two place and then marasi comes in with her educated you know (laughs) ivy league scholarship uh blah 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 knows a lot about numbers and just very good with graphs swoops in and takes that position from him you know that's a very small story compared to the final empire compared to fighting tens of thousands of coloss like vin did but it's still emotionally significant and it still hits and it makes sense in this world and i believe that that is one of the things that brandon does really well totally however for me one of my all-time favorite moments not just in shadows of self but across the cosmere is the way that wayne's backstory is unveiled and specifically the scene where he goes to pay or atone 
for his original sin, the sin that creates Wayne, the inciting incident for him is this moment when he's young and he kills a man who has a family. And obviously, Wax saves him from the gallows and they go on their adventures. But every single month, Wayne is going back to at least one of the daughters who is at She's university. Going to yeah, yeah. yeah. And he goes to see her and. It is a heartbreaking series of events. Because one, I just love Wayne. He's the jovial character. He's the sidekick. Yeah, he's always kidding around. He's never serious. Yes. And he is getting drunk, which, you know, is a thing that he does. But he is completely loaded, uh, which is already a weird thing because we've established that Wayne doesn't need to get drunk. Like if because he can heal from all sorts of alcohol effects. So he doesn't need to get drunk, but he's very drunk, which means he's not healing himself. Exactly. So it's a that's important. It's important to understand that like he's choosing to experience this. And then the question is like, why? Why is Wayne doing this? And we at first think, oh, he's like trying to blend in. He's doing his thing about, you know, learning people, whatnot. And then he goes to the university and he tries that people try to stop him. They're like, you can't come in here. You're totally drunk. They can like smell the alcohol in his breath. Well, I think he does burn it away, but he still smells like alcohol. He still smells yeah. like alcohol, but then he burns. And just like it's a closed campus. Like yeah. strangers aren't allowed to just wander in. You have to be a student. But we, we find out that he is like also a known figure yeah. for doing this. And he is like at times we would guess like snuck in without any type of approval. But the daughter shows up in front of Wayne. He immediately burns away all of the alcohol poisoning and just like straightens up and is like, no, I'm just, I like to have fun with him. And the scene that plays out is just so heart wrenching and it's so emotional and it just hits so deep that like Wayne is a very complex character that is given this kind of you know, buddy cop role, basically. And yet his emotions are so, I don't know, they're they're so, like, um, clean in, in a way of just, like, he wears them on his sleeve a little bit more, where Wax is, like, very, like, tortured, kind of. Um, <laughs> Wayne is, is just, like, out there. He's like, I did something horrifically wrong to you, and I I'm so sorry. Yeah. And like, did you get the money? Of course I got the money. I don't care about your money. Like say the thing that I make you say every time. And it's just like, I did it. I killed your dad and nothing I do will ever take back from that. It's just, it's such a contrast to wax, which is the whole point, right? Wax and Wayne. But it's just like, it's so in your face um, that it like took me out of the story. I was like, oh man, Brandon, you just punched me in the emotional gut. Like I wasn't prepared for it. And I feel like there's a lot of moments that he does that in this whole series. Well, on that happy note, <laughs> to uh, sort of talk about the lighter side of Wayne, uh, as a language nerd, getting more into Wayne's particular um hobby of like accents and voices and languages is just like the best i enjoy it so much i love he has one quote where marasi is kind of asking him about this particular you know uh idiosyncrasy of his and he says our accents are our clothing for our thoughts my dear 
which is so perfect. I actually want to go a step further. I think this is the true ability of Wayne. Like, screw his magical compounding. Oh my gosh. Screw his, his healing. But like, I think that this is his actual skill. Like the thing that he is a master of. It certainly is this, plays its part. Yeah. He has this desire to like hunt out accents and we really start to understand just the huge amount of work he puts into this. He's carrying around disguises at all times. He like has high heels. Be like, can I trade you for those high heels? And the woman says, why? You're a man. And it's just like, well, next time I'm a woman and I'm going to need some good high heels. <laughs> yeah. It's just... Uh, there's so many different uh, like little things that Wayne has to do in this story, as I just talked about. But this concept that like, no, what he is really good at is becoming other people. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. To add sort of a uh, a literary analysis uh, sheen to this, I feel like Wayne's superpower is empathy. He's incredibly good at Mm. putting himself in the mindset in the shoes in the you know orbit of other people people who are very very different from him and like imagining how they think how they talk what they do and that's his superpower i love it i and it's it plays in the end game of this story he hears uh innate the mayor who says a word that cannot be said by innate or or can't the way that it's he in says a different it, accent yeah exactly yeah. is the wrong accent and that's what keys him off that innate is actually been taken over by palm and that she is going to play the crowd into destruction so like it's hugely important to the in game of this particular story i think it gets a little bit at the shadows of self where it's like a little bit of Shalon, not Shalon as she is right now, but how I imagine Shalon in the future in that Wayne is made up of all of these different accents and personas <laughs> and Shalon has kind of the three personas uh-huh. that she's focused on now. But like, I feel like she's going to have to process the fact that there's even more than three deep down in Shalon. But I honestly think that Wayne's shadows of his self are all of these different people that he has created and he inhabits. And he's just, it's fun to watch him do that. You know, there's a scene when he's making drinks for people and he is like, Oh my gosh, that scene is so good. Yeah. He's working at the fancy or excuse me. He's, been to the fancy parties and so he knows like all the cool mixology. drinks yes he's Gadriel's first mixologist that's exactly what he is but that is another great example of like the fact that his actual secret superpower is, is empathy. empathy yes knowing what he, people need yeah he looks at them and he like intuits yes. what drink they will like i forgot oh and man it, it might have been a scene in uh brooklyn 99 <laughs> but uh, they go to like a secret underground uh speakeasy type the only for cops like only cops can Ooh. get in uh and jake is invited and the, the detective that brings him uh after jake orders drink he's like no 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 you don't order a drink here pablo looks at you pablo makes you a drink you drink it and you love it. That's Wayne, basically. Pretty much. <laughs> Wayne's just like cutting right to your soul. Uh, and it's just a really great 
way to just watch this character develop from the silly sidekick into something yeah, really powerful much more three-dimensional i'm gonna bring it back down again because that's what i do here i'm just <laughs> womp, like womp. we need to deal this is a sad book it's a tragedy there's a lot of sadness it, i mean i this is a tragedy and ends in tragedy right this is not yeah. in any way it uses comedy to get you through but like at the end of the day this is a very sad story about heartbreak about loss about betrayal a betrayal of your god about taking so much trust that is just i mean while he doesn't fully understand we know what wax is doing when he puts that earring in is he's taking an old inquisitor spike that's been like melted down and crafted specifically just for him so that harmony has a it's like a key into wax's brain and there is this kind of that's an intimacy that's mm-hmm. that's very yeah um it's a lot of trust that you're giving over to this deity to the point that in the previous book series it was a negative if you got spiked (laughs) because you could be taken over it was a bad thing and that is what the pathians are willingly doing with harmony they are giving up that control and so there's this huge betrayal that comes with the reveal that palm and lessie are the same person that wax has been sent to hunt the woman that he loves that one of the catalysts for palm leading her down the path is the fact that harmony asked her to die that wax needed to kill her in order to push him in the right direction and she was like screw you dude i i like wax now wax and i are actually in love and harmony's like i don't care that's not part of the plan like your feelings are irrelevant in because i need to move you around like chess pieces and then the very end, the scene when Wax once again has to kill Lessie and he, he's sitting on the bridge oh alone gosh. in the rain. It's like it's the, so sad. It's just uh, there's that famous like womp womp scene from uh, the Hulk series when Hulk's walking in the rain, just like super sad. And that's it's just so sad. And it's the perfect book in obviously, to that um, scene that preluded Alloy of Law that we talked about earlier. It's a real tragedy that's just dropped in on this book, too. So maybe, okay, I'm just thinking, maybe this is another sort of like shadows of self thing. Like this whole thing had to happen in book two because Wax had to face his shadows of self you know like he's been carrying around yeah. this baggage of like i killed lessie i killed the woman that i love and it's affected him you know the whole time since and he hasn't really like addressed it come to grips with it and like been able to move on so this is him facing his shadows of self yes and maybe unlike wayne who kind of we talked about absorbs all of the shadows of self to make a stronger person wax definitely like tries to hide his shadow he's like, i'm gonna put that away i'm fine yeah I'm fine. exactly I'm, fine. I'm very stoic i don't need to feel anything yeah. like i'll just i'm a lawman and that's all i'm gonna do and he, he definitely like puts his energy into avoiding his past and his anchor and i think obviously the point that wax comes to by the end is that harmony's right like 
no one else can do this job. No one else can put Lessie out of her misery, which is basically the way that they describe it is that like she's gone insane. She can't be controlled. And who else is supposed to do this other than you, Wax? And it's definitely heartbreaking. And I think the heartbreak is important, A, because, you know, feeling emotions is good, but B, because of who comes to rescue Wax. And that is really why we need the heartbreak. That's the best part. It makes me cry every single time I read it. It really does. When they're like at this party and everyone's kind of like, hey, what can I do for you? Cheer up. It'll be okay. You're going to get back on your feet, like doing, you know, the various things that people do to try to make you feel better. And what he really needs is what Steris does, which is that she just sits next to him in silence. And eventually she puts her hand on his and that's it. She just lets him be there, feel what he needs to feel, cry. And that's it. She's just there. She's just there. And that is like, that's everything. That scene is hugely significant to not just Era 2, but also Wax and Steris' relationship that we see in book three. It changes Wax in a way that is positive. And that's why... That becomes the foundation of their true relationship. Yes. Not the contract, but we see beginning in book three, he is really like oh, I see you in a completely different light because, like, you were there for me when oh, I needed you. Oh, he actually loves her by yeah. book three. Like, I, we'll, we'll talk about that in, in a moment, but it, it is definitely the beginning of their real relationship. And I think that this quote from Melan really summarizes a lot of what is going on in this second series. Quote, yes, he hurt Wax. He hurt him badly but he put the pain where he knew it could be born. End quote. The idea that Harmony purposefully hurt Wax because Wax was the only place that that pain and energy could go and still survive. It's like... Yeah, well, and that, like, he knew that Wax... Wax has a support system. He has Wayne. He, he has, has Marazzi, Steris, like, He has Steris. Yeah. So in... In causing this pain, like, Harmony knew that he would be taken care of. Like, yes, it's unfortunate, but you have the tools that you need to overcome it. Yeah, the way that Wax challenges Harmony, he says, you could have sent someone to help. And Harmony responds, I I sent sent you. you. And when Wax is at his lowest, Harmony has also sent Wayne. He's also sent Steris. He's also sent Marasi. Like the way that all of that is made manifest to us as the reader is just so perfect because you have this understanding and you you realize it before the characters do. And so then when it happens to the characters and they start Uh. to, it's just like heart wrenching all over again. It's emotional and i feel like that is something that was captured yes in mistborn era one but it's not it's not an easy thing to capture to make someone feel emotional across written words squiggly lines on a page like should not make me cry but 
Brandon has this ability to just like reach through and just like tug on the right strings. And it's so impressive. And so even though I don't think this is the best book in the series, it does have a huge role to play in the series. I would love to read just one more quote sort of illustrating both, I think, our theme of Shadows of Self and my note here is all caps, wax and Saris forever, heart, heart, heart. (laughs) (laughs) The heart, heart, heart is really what's key. (laughs) Because I love them so much and I will never stop talking about them. (laughs) But this particular exchange is just one of many that fits so wonderfully into this particular storyline. Quote, people underestimate you, Steris. No, she said, stepping out onto the misty sidewalk. He saw she wore shoes that fastened securely. Good. They simply presume to know me when they do not. End quote. And how often is that the case? People who presume to know you when, of course, they know nothing about you. Like they could yeah. never begin to understand the All vastness. Of the shadows of self. Exactly. I am vast and contain multitudes is what every single human can say. Steris and wax alike, equally alike. Cosmere Connection. What was going on in this book? A lot, I think. Yeah. Tell us about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get a lot of Trell slash Autonomy slash Bavadin in this book aside from lessie being spiked there's also a prisoner that wax interrogates and he says quote she said you'd come talk to me end quote and he's kind of like harmony have you been talking to harmony and he like doesn't quite figure out who this prisoner is talking about but the prisoner is like a little bit cray cray and i'm pretty sure it's autonomy talking to him because we know that autonomy while she appears as either gender, often appears as a female. Yeah, autonomy is such an interesting character so far because, A, she is seemingly apparent on multiple different worlds in multiple different planetary systems, but also because, B, she has the tendency to have multiple she has many different avatars yes that are all somewhat independent yes they have some autonomy over themselves and so like there can be characters that are walking around that are quote-unquote autonomy but operate on that world basically as real people on that world and we don't have the full understanding of what that means but For example, from the White Sand graphic novel, we know that autonomy is just a person there, just a regular person. There's a person who shows up and says, hi, my name is Trill. Yeah. Okay. But we're (laughs) assuming that that person is both a like a pretty normal, not magically significant God that's just hanging out, but is operating as just a normal person on that planet. And then we have the scene that we'll talk about from Bands of Morning as well, where a red cloud is like pressing in on Skadriel 
distracting harmony from much of the smaller things that are going on, but definitely a huge reveal that Trell has spiked someone, Palm specifically, in this book. So, like, there's another god on Skadriel, and this is our first acknowledgement of that fact. I'd say that's a Cosmere connection. <laughs> How about Hoyd? Hoyd's definitely here as well. He actually has a little bit more of an important role. He plays a coachman or is acting as a coachman, and he's very friendly with Wayne. Uh, Wayne is said to like. Yeah, Wayne's like, hey, Hoyd. Instead I'm going to come up and sit with you. Yeah, exactly. Instead of sitting uh, with Wax and. Uh, While Wax talks to God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Wayne's just like, I need to go have a conversation with my good friend Hoyd. And obviously. That's the real buddy cop movie that I want to see. Like Hoy <laughs> going around with new sidekick Wayne. It would be lovely. That would be hilarious. A wonderful look at Shadows of Self only leads us to Bands of Mourning. And this one has a very uncomplicated title. The Bands of Mourning is about the bands of mourning. The only little <laughs> thing that I tried to pull out of it uh, is that Wax Begins the book in mourning and does not in there so it's like a it is like why are they called the bands of mourning it is you know spelled in like the sad morning way not like the i just woke up morning way um and it comes from well you know the lord ruler slash kelsier some kind of like ancient legend that has been created and we don't really know what the story is behind them. But we have plenty of guesses. And all of our guesses really flow from this one story that is a wild ride. It is from the minute you open this book. One, it begins with those little uh, cutaways. And this one takes us back to the village where Wax solves his first crime of a serial killer. Young serial killer. And... Then from that point on, it never stops. We have like wedding interrupted. The Chandra set us on a new mission. They're going on the train fight sequence. They're in New Saran, new area, new place, new challenges. And then immediately they're fighting the set and saving, rescuing the dude from the south there's so much. And then yeah. they go flying over to the temple where the Bands of Mourning are, but the Bands of Mourning aren't there. They're actually the okay, spearhead. we don't need an entire plot synopsis. But I'm just saying just that it goes, I just described the entire plot. It never. There's no slow moment. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. Yes. And I think that the speed of this book is kind of indicative of the fact that maybe like this is the story that brandon wanted to get to in some way like the bands of mourning is hugely important yeah the connection from ellendale world to the southern realm through trade which has been established by the end of the book that's hugely important oh yeah but and then like in the middle of that getting a wider view on the other cities outside of ellendale and yes. like this more um insular relationship of like how people outside of Ellendale view Ellendale. Yes. All of those like politics and again going back to like the union issues, workers issues, 
uh, commerce. Yeah, super oppression and inequality. Yeah. It is apparent, like, okay, one of the things that we learn is that all of the trains from the Have outer cities- to go through Ellendale. So that Ellendale can put a tax on all the goods that go through. What type of stupid ass nonsense is like, it was like the most corrupt way of doing something is like, imagine if every single product that was created had to go to New York City or Washington, D.C. before going anywhere else. No system could function like that. Like you're already taxed on whatever your land, et cetera, everything that you buy. And then you're also taxed just to have it transported. And we have the introduction of a flying machine, which clearly was one of the most important things that has happened in human history. Uh, But like certainly of the last century, like we went from flying in 1904 or whatever to landing on the moon in 1969 to our entire planet surrounded with so many flying satellites that like now it's difficult to get out of the orb cloud that they have created or like that's a lot of development very quickly and that's where this entire civilization is they are sitting on the precipice of the most significant change that is likely to be possible which is the addition of flight in the not extraterrestrial community but in the (laughs) uh scientific community there is a categorizing of civilizations and flight is one of the key markers of civilizations developing like you have a clear difference between a civilization that does not have the ability to fly and one that can fly and i think that this bands of mourning story is super entertaining i feel like it would make a rock and rolling movie that's just like non-stop action all the time but i think the setup really makes me want that last book so bad i need to know where this goes but show tell me about some of your five favorite moments well i think the lesson that we get along with our main characters from the Chandra Vendel about exactly how this new like allomantic technology is working with investiture and identity. Obviously, that is super important. We learn that from the book Marasi has from the Lord Mistborn, aka Spook. Humility can basically create anything by rewriting its spiritual aspect. Which reminds me of um, our good friend Shy in The Emperor's Soul creating things with stamps by rewriting their spiritual aspect. And then to go back to something you mentioned earlier, we find out that the earrings that people who follow the path wear are made out of Inquisitor spikes, which theoretically would grant some kind of power in addition to allowing harmony to speak to you so my question is if it's an inquisitor spike that is some that is invested does it have some vestige of power that it could be giving pathians maybe i mean i think that we know that there's a decay rate on inquisitor spikes i mean it would obviously be a very small amount of power but 
still. Yes. I think that that is definitely, along with the question about the myths that you brought up earlier, like what are these, how are these being used? Because we know that the myths are powerful. We know that Inquisitor spikes are powerful. So how is that power playing out in the story? We don't get it in an upfront way. We just get it in the most general like connection to harmony type of way. Yeah, but I'm just wondering like could that be yes. does is there any correlation there between times that like Wax has a little extra boosted power or can do something cool that he wouldn't otherwise be able to do? Listeners, tell me what you think. It definitely bears a lot of questions and I think a lot of this book is just like introducing questions and it is not a lot of uh conclusion or answering of anything it's just like hey here's a new city and that city has a lot of problems with ellendale and oh outside that city there's a whole other region filled with people that you have no idea about and they can fly bt dubs and have figured (laughs) out a way to disconnect investiture from the idea identity of someone and are able to basically create what we have called before and i think is generally called fabrials yeah fabrials across the cosmere are any piece of quote-unquote technology magical tech that allows some type of capturing of magic so in rishar they capture spren and kind of abuse spren to activate their fabrials it seems like now the big key on Scadrial is this fact that anyone can have the abilities of an Alamancer, a Ferrucamus, without going through the deadly process of hemallergy. Well, and I love, they mention this in the book, I think it's Wax who starts thinking like, what does this mean for our mm-hmm. world if... Basically, anyone could have access to this type of power. And essentially what it means is that they are going to be closer to the world that we see in era one, where the rich and powerful, right, the noble families are the ones that have allomancy. Everyone else is a ska and doesn't, theoretically. Mm -hmm. But this is going to be based on money, on your ability to pay for this technology. So it's going to be like even worse basically that you're gonna create this stratification in society where some people are going to get a lot a lot of power and other people are going to be at their mercy yeah this comes down to as we have talked about more interesting questions and connections to our own world when it comes down to things like access to resources here on earth including stuff like healthcare. like if you have a good healthy start to life when you are less than five or ten years old we know that that has a huge benefit down the road through the rest of your life so like how are these types of things going to be abused are they going to form a system of oppression based on you know who's the rich who can afford or is there going to be a democratization of small d of these powers where they are going to spread like wildfire. Maybe the technology is so easy. You're thinking it's going to be more like an iPhone? Exactly. That maybe it gets to a point where the technology is so easy to use Uh and utilize and create more of. Well, but then you can also think of a world where Alamancers, Ferrucamus, 
uh, are abused to create this technology, right? Like, if you have a power, we are, you know, pressing you into a chain gang making these uh, devices because that's the economy. That kind of leads me a little bit down the path of uh, the Broken Earth trilogy about how the magic users yeah, are abused. Totally, totally. Where they take the people with power and just don't, like yeah. chain them. Yeah, don't spoil it too much. For you. Like, this is nope. Now you're a servant. <laughs> All spoilers only for this series of books. (laughs) But I think that that kind of introduces a whole new element um, or not necessarily new, but a a recurring element about like who has power, Mm -hmm. how is that power divided in society and where are the avenues of abuse and kind of weakness of that power system and structure? Because so much of the first book was just like, the Lord Ruler is too powerful. He's he's too big to allow oh. to continue. We have to take him down because he is a god. Yeah, and then after the destruction of that world, they create a new world that is more equitable, right? Like now, Alamancy and Farukami are solely genetic. It gets sort of spread out throughout the population. It's not concentrated only in noble houses. Everyone sort of has an equal chance to be born with some kind of power and you know it's a total lottery yeah well it's even pointed out that because of that genetic spread and the relatively small number of people that the world started over from it's likely that everyone has a latent ability to use allomancy and so that could play into their ability to use this technology but i definitely think the way that it's going is through a kind of small d democratization of these fabrials that basically i'm not that hopeful i i think it has to be because like we have to get to space flight and so we can do yeah, that through we oppression have two other series of books well, we got one more. And in this Wax one. is already fighting the set, who is trying to control all of this technology. I'm not saying it happens without problems. I'm just saying that I think, for example, we have no idea what the people from the southern realms are going to do. And is this going to start a war? Is there going to be? Uh, that's generally what happens when like resources get scarce and countries get afraid of one another. Is there's a big gigantic war, and there hasn't been a big gigantic war among humans, like among the Coloss. Obviously, are being controlled by ruin, and like that type of stuff is war in the first Mistborn series. But like, I'm very interested to see how these civilizations clash and then how the technology or fabrials is used this is not something that i put on my list of five because i was trying to keep it to five but it was something that was in my notes but like how crazy is it that there are southern scadrians that we have never seen before they lived through the catacendra just like the people of ellendale like where did they come from? Where have they been? Were they created by preservation and ruin? Like, where where have they been through this whole thing? I think there's the world is much larger than we realize. It is like when you start in the Game of Thrones universe, 
you're on this like one little island and then you keep realizing that there's more and more cultures and like some of those cultures are like the dothraki that seem you know more primitive or in their development but then other parts of the culture like Dorne and some of the other places that are referenced are seemingly far more advanced than the people that we've been following around. I always try to like keep in mind in our own world, like we had the University of Oxford and the Aztec Empire existing at the same time. Like both of those things, people were just chilling in an Oxford study with like a <laughs> fire brewing and reading old books. And they were also sacrificing thousands upon thousands of people on a temple in Central America as part of the Aztec Empire. Like we don't know what is going ac on across Skadriel. I know, but it's so crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. And that's just like one of the little things that like this world just keeps getting bigger it goes from it's going to go from this little heist story into this a global economy yeah, already absolutely yeah along with that a little quote to throw in here okay hit me with it quote because people were people and if there was one thing you could count on it was that some of them would be weird or rather, that all of them would be weird when circumstances happen to align with their own individual brand of insanity end quote i love it <laughs> i love it so much just like all people are weird if you put them in the right circumstance 100 <laughs> the circumstances for me to be weird are just very readily all apparent of life. yeah exactly <laughs> just most things put me in the circumstance to be weird now speaking of weird and possibly my favorite development of a single character is are Asteris. we going to talk about steris again of course oh we're going to talk God. about steris can we look, this is going to be a long steris section so you're in it for the long haul yeah you're here you several notes in my kindle just said freaking steris steris mvp <laughs> for life i absolutely adore the development of steris's character when it's the actual best she comes she is part of the mission. She's like, I'm going with you. Obviously, I can be helpful when we're going to New Saran. There's a bunch of people there. I've been studying up. Like, I'm going to help you out. We're going to play the couple. Yeah, she's like, I'll be the diplomatic, yes. you know, resource for you. And I you know how be to the act muscle. at parties. Yeah. And so they're traveling. The train is attacked. Steris, like, goes into the little safe room that's, like, you know, off the main. And she's just sitting, like, kind of prim and proper, you know, maybe breaking a little bit of a sweat. But she Wax is like, ah, oh, what am I going to do? Yeah, totally out of metals. Wax is in trouble. And Steris just comes out hand only and is just like, here's a metal vial. And Wax is like, hmm, very handy to have you around, Steris. And he's like, Steris, when did you start carrying these with you? She obviously uh, responds, well, you know that I like to be prepared. And he's like, yep, got it. And then she whips out two more and says, <laughs> I brought these because I'm neurotic. <laughs> the first one is preparation. The She's second so two. self-aware, <laughs> just like two is normal. Yeah. That's a normal amount to carry. These two, that's just because I'm neurotic. It is really leaning into that factor of like, what is most attractive about someone is when they know themselves and are comfortable with themselves. Like, obviously, we see Wax and Steris' relationship developing, but I feel it's justified because I'm attracted to Steris. Like, I think she's wonderful, and 
only gets better the more oh screen gosh. time she has. Absolutely. I've said this before. I will never stop saying this. But the development of Steris's character is so... It's just masterful. It is a masterpiece. When I first meet her, she is so off-putting and annoying, just like everyone else sees her. And then we get to know her right along with Wax, and it's amazing. There is also a moment in this book that I think is like maybe the first real moment depicting the act of like falling in love that we see from Sanderson because we don't really get it with Vin and Ellen like we talked about in our last podcast that relationship is a little bit underdeveloped and then in other relationships throughout the Cosmere like I'm thinking of Dalinar and Navani they're already established like we don't really get to see two people like getting to know each other and that moment when they fall in love and we do in this book and it is absolutely beautiful quote he suddenly found something burning in him like a metal a protectiveness for this woman in his arms so full of logic and yet so full of wonder at the same time and a powerful affection end quote it reminds me so much of the good place where chidi and eleanor (laughs) ask about the first time that they fell in oh, love. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Michael reads it to them. And he says, as Chidi was about to sneeze, Eleanor in an act of anticipating, anticipating his, needs. his needs. Exactly. She pulls out the tissue and hands it to him as he is sneezing. <laughs> and so he's able to blow his nose. Like real love and lasting love doesn't often come from seeing a boy at a party and finding him so unbelievably attractive. So sexy. Yeah. It's just like, oh, he's moody. Look at him <laughs> reading that book. Oh, swoon. Like that is, as we've talked about, a little bit more immature. A little bit. It doesn't, it's not the point. The point is not a love story between Vin and Ellen in that book. Right. But it kind of does feel like the point in this series is these characters. And I really just want to praise Brandon for his development where he's able to create an alloy of his strength as an mm-hmm. action writer and yeah. someone who who writes great action scenes and has these cool magic systems. That's what everyone says when you ask about Sanderson. The action's cool, the magic's great, blah, blah, blah. But then to develop to this point when it's just like, we've watched these people fall in love they're real people wax and wayne they feel like real people and kind of in the way that uh in era two all the people from era one become elevated and heightened and vin is no longer vin the girl she's the ascendant Ascendant warrior yes it feels like these characters are just so grounded yes just more things that I love about Steris. I told you this is going to be long. Steris is a real MVP. She brings vials. She has a list of possible scenarios that might happen for their landlord. She humiliates herself at a party by making herself vomit so that she can be the distraction and Wax can like do some investigating. 
Like, who would do that? Way to go, Steris. She straps a gun to her thigh, just in case, which they end up needing. With like, way too much tape. We got to get this girl a holster. Like, now that she has shown she's willing, can we just get her some? She had, like, multiple reams of tape that Wax had to go through. I wasn't really sure how much I would need, and I didn't know, like, how much we'd be flying. So I just made it really secure. (laughs) And I just imagine, like, Wax, like, trying to be delicate as he, like, saws off just a bunch of duct tape. (laughs) It's just like, we'll get through this eventually, sweetie. Okay, but I'm just saying, this mission would not have been possible without Steris. So everyone just take a moment, give Steris her due. I know. She rates herself as a 7 on the scale of usefulness from 1 to 100. And nay, nay. Steris, you are up there. You're not not 100. You're not wax. We get it. However... You got to count yourself. Okay. Do we have anything non-Steris related? (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) Fine. I'll stop talking about Steris. Something else that I noticed that kind of goes back to tie in with this theme of the progression towards data and statistics is that the villain group that we see, it's called the set. And then other like names of titles within that group are sequence and array. So we have this whole like statistics theme in this group sort of foreshadowing that move. And we even have a quote that says, Suit and his people had a high regard for scientific thought. It really bears in mind the question of like, in our own world, we have those kind of secret societies you know like the illuminati control the world and the different groups throughout history whether it's the knights templar or the freemasons like you have all these different groups that have appeared that are like secretly behind every big aspect of the world the set is kind of like filling that role kind of yeah and has this kind of a mentality that you know, the greater good definitely seems to be driving the set's actions. And we're going to do this because it's going to be. Yeah, like work it's going to happen anyway, but we need to be in charge of it so we can make sure it goes the right way. Yes. Consequentialism for the Good Place fans. <laughs> that's uh, what that is. Uh, they're very interested in the consequences of their actions and not the morality <laughs> of their actions. There is also, this is a small moment, but. There's a small moment when uh, Wax's sort of patriarchal views come back to bite him. And it's not something that's very pronounced, but I do think that it's notable that it is present in a way that is noticeable. There is a quote where he is like thinking about Telson, you know, he's finally saved his sister and she's on this dangerous adventure with them. And he's like, oh man, I just, I really wish that I could just see Telson safely at home, away from the action, you know, this sort of like dismissive yeah. uh, thought that comes back to bite him because Telson ends up being a villain, a very, very capable villain who almost kills him. So like... You know, and it's so weird. Well, it's not weird because I think it says a lot about wax, but it he also points out multiple times that he doesn't know anything about Telson at all. Yeah, like it's been twenty plus years. He never went back. He even when their parents died, like 
He doesn't know anything about Telson. He just has this vision of her like she was in the village when they were young, where she was kind of the troublemaker and he was kind of the goody two-shoes. But he always thought that she was like cool and great. Yeah, but at the end, he believed incorrectly that she was something or someone that needs to be protected and taken care of. And that is certainly, I mean, the patriarchy it's it's in deep you know well and it ties in with like all of the times that he tries to dismiss morassi mm-hmm. to the point where literally his god is like hey can you please stop being mean to her like she's trying to help you yeah and as we <laughs> mentioned earlier like he sent morassi to help yeah in the circumstances <laughs> like it's kind of the point dum-dum and same with steris right from yeah. the very beginning he's just like oh steris steris being steris this is who she is blah 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 and then like hello like we just mentioned gun vials vomiting <laughs> what up bro vomiting as a positive has got <laughs> one of it's be like vomiting you can't do that can you what a magic <laughs> That's a big sacrifice that she made. It is. Projectile vomiting in public voluntarily. That's true. It's not something. Well, no, I would definitely projectile vomit if needed. (laughs) Just if anyone out there in any circumstances needs a distraction, (laughs) I'm your guy. Okay. Let's look at some Cosmere connections because. Ooh, we have some good ones. Yeah, there are. For example. The tribe of Southern Scadrians, or at least one of the tribes, because there are multiple and they're like There's competing many. tribes. Yeah. But one of them is are called the Hunters. And on Rashar. We know one of the Hunters. Her name is Ayatil. Yeah. And so we definitely have seen movement between Scadriel and Rashar, movement between Nalthus and Rashar. But if anyone was going to be a world hopper on Scadriel, it makes more sense that it would be the Southern Scadrians. Like, they seem to be more Cosmere aware well, and a little bit more connected to the rest of the universe. I'm pretty sure Ayatil, I think this is a word of Brandon. Ayatil is born in Silverlight. Yes. She has never lived on, on Scadrill. Scadrill. But her but lineage. Her, yeah, her genealogy is of the Southern Scadrian. So somehow they at least make their way to the cognitive realm. Yes. And so I think that because of their Fabrial technology, I, I feel like they have a deeper understanding of yeah, the definitely. three realms and therefore is probably... Because, well... Without getting too deep into the metallic arts, we do know that there are some of those metals, including gold for an allomancer, um, that has the ability to kind of connect you to the spiritual realm mm, and show yeah. you versions of yourself. And if you had a deeper understanding of that and what is going on, I think it would lead to very natural questions of like, okay, well, can we do something else with this? Can we travel in this realm? Can we X, Y, Z that the Southern Scadrians clearly have made a little bit more connections uh, to the rest of the Cosmere? And then at the very end, 
it might even be the epilogue. I think it is the epilogue. We see these new faceless immortals, question mark, question mark. What are they? Who are they? Where did they come from? What the heck? And they tell Suit, Wax's uncle, quote, you will be allowed to serve in another realm, end quote, after they destroy all life on Scadriel. Like, why do we have to destroy? That's just a small bombshell. What? 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 Why do we need all life on Scadriel to be destroyed? What? What? They're just like, this experiment has failed. We're just going to scrap it. Man, that would be... That's kind of like a... Like, who are they? Are they aliens? Are they... Trellians? Yeah. Are they from another planet? Are they just like spiked trell people? I have so many questions. It definitely does have a kind of a... There's this worry that I have, basically, that once what is happening on Scadriel becomes fully understood and realized everywhere else, everywhere else is going to break. Like, none of the other worlds can really deal with the type of things that are happening on Scadriel in an easy way. Like, we've talked a lot about how there's a lot of politics and oppression and unionization and rising up. Like, that type of developments, none of the other worlds are prepared for. And well, it they're going to have their own development. But this is what I'm saying. Like, if Scadriel is the first, then it might make sense why these people want to destroy it because, like, Scadriel got there not necessarily in a natural way, but at least kind of in a natural way. And all the other places are going to have it forced upon them. It's the difference between the countries that, like, experienced the Industrial Revolution and ones where the Industrial Revolution showed up on their doorstep, normally in the oh, form of guns. like uh, uh, Six of the Dusk. Exactly, exactly. Just like if the Scadrians successfully develop and are then going out across the Cosmere, either through normal space travel or through well, the cognitive realm. Well, you can say that's the same thing that's happening to... Ellendale because the southern Scadrians just showed up and were like by the way we have flying machines yeah no it's it's definitely but again I feel like they are at least somewhat prepared to deal with it because of their alimenters because of their harmony assist on their development where I just but even harmony is like I gave you everything that you needed to develop and you didn't because you've just been sitting yeah. fat and happy in your little valley that i created for you you guys and, haven't like, even developed too movies yet. yeah <laughs> you you could be watching movies right now okay <laughs> avatar could exist but it doesn't for you dum-dums just like i think but then like what does he mean about serve in another realm i feel like he means another planet that's just me what or maybe heck? on silverlight maybe i don't know However, I'm so confused. You know how we always say that Lyft is a game breaker in or on Rashar. I feel like Scadriel is the game breaker in the Cosmere. Like, I just don't see how any other civilization can deal with what Scadriel could conceivably drop into their lap. Like, if you had guns and weapons and flying technology that dropped into any of these worlds, it would just be too overpowered no one could deal with it like the best chance is a whole team of 
Windrunners and uh, Knights of Radiance. But like, yeah, I mean, we haven't really seen what like full Knights Radiant can do. So exactly. And so like, but because they couldn't stop the desolation on all of the bullets, then they're not that, you know, I but again, I feel like part of what Scadrill is bringing is the democratization of these powers. And it's like, okay, the person maybe that would be helpful on Rashar because then everyone can fight instead of just the Knights Radiant. Possibly. But I think that woman that Wayne is now funding, uh, the young scientist. Oh my gosh, yes. Who her father uh, like yeah. made these inventions. Sophie Tarksell. Hey, very good. He, and he's funding her now. Like that's the more important thing that Scadriel is bringing to the table is like once power leaks out, it's like the printing press. Once you have a printing press, then people can print whatever they want. Like... BT dubs, a Catholic church totally sucks. Let's protest and create whole different religions. Like that's just a game breaker. And I feel like this whole series is setting up how Scadriel can break the Cosmere or at least break down the barriers in the Cosmere. We'll see. We will see. Void sightings? A bunch. He's the most important thing in this story. In New Saran, he is the beggar who comes out uh, as they're about to go into the party. He throws the coin at Wax. Wax catches that. And then he notes that the coin is unusual. Magical metal mind coin. Yeah, they don't even know it's a metal mind until the end, but it is a copper mind and has the memories of, quote unquote, the Lord Ruler, who we discover is definitely Kelsier. Kelsier in a body with, with one spike, spike through an eye and importantly the scars from the pits of hath sin on his arms telling people helping people in the, the southern region survive through their difficult you know transition those 300 years he basically is like a little god savior for those people then we also have this one is not confirmed as a world hopper i don't think it's hoid but i just had a question about the informant devlin at the party in new saran uh wax talks to him and one of the things that he says is quote and i can tell you the group you chase you don't need to worry about them they won't be a danger for decades perhaps centuries you're ignoring the bigger threat end quote Like, how would a normal person know if someone was not going to be a danger for centuries? Well, I think the set is definitely playing that long game, and maybe they just, like, make that apparent. But I do think that... You know, like, that just seems a little side-eye. It does seem a little side-eye, and it has, like, kind of the... A hint of some world hopperiness to it. However, I think what he is talking about is... You're worried about this group, the kind of Illuminati of Scadriel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the big problem is that cities are trying to rebel against Elendel. And outside, there's this, like, I feel like anyone could kind of point to that. But there's a little bit of weirdness. Yeah, just pointing out a little underlying question mark. Okay, that is by far our longest episode of Cosmere (laughs) Conversations. This has been a lot. If you made it all the way to the end, congrats and thank you. Yeah, you deserve (laughs) some celebration. Now, we are always up for some 
listener feedback on Twitter, on Reddit, on Facebook, everywhere. We're here for you. One thing that has been great about how long it's taken us to put this podcast out is that I've noticed a lot of people like catching up to us and joining in on Facebook and in our Facebook group. So welcome to everyone. Um, If you're in the group, I would highly encourage you to post any thoughts or questions in the group for group feedback. A lot of people are still directly messaging me things, which is cool, but like, let's get everyone in on it. The more heads, the better. Yeah. So post it in the group versus private message. And we are moving on to Elantris. Yes. Is our next read. We have until November when Stormlight 4 is coming out. We are looking at Elantris, Warbreaker, and then Stormlight, Stormlight, Stormlight with Edge Dancer thrown in the middle. Now, that's five books, maybe six if you count Edge Dancer. And Stormlight is very long. (laughs) And we're going to probably need, you know, a month per Stormlight book minimum. I was going to say, that's like as fast as I can read those books. I think that's how I read them before Oathbringer came out. It was like a month per. Mm -hmm. So... We'll see. My life is a little bit crazier now. (laughs) Exactly. So basically what we're saying is we kind of like the month-long schedule to give us for reading and producing the podcast. I would expect we finish Elantris in about that time as well, but it's possible to do... uh, Maybe two or three weeks on Elantris. Yeah, exactly. That's probably the shorter one. But I think that as we go forward... And as we get closer to Stormlight 4, these are going to actually start taking a little bit longer time because the books are going to get longer in response. So keep an eye out for us in the next two to three weeks uh, after we finish Atlantris and have the expectation that as the books get longer, we will need longer to reread them. (laughs) That's how rereads go, people. All right. Until next time. Life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination.